welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for December. Silent night. Jingle, 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 jingle. It's almost here. It's almost Christmas time, which is always very, very exciting. There's not much longer to go. We're probably about halfway through December by the time um, this kind of goes out for everybody. All you lovely people listening out there. Um... A little while ago, this person um, came on the show to chat about their um, their game, and they went on and was doing kind of well through Halloween. Did a little Halloween special that kind of did quite well, and then the kind of the um, the subject of pogs came up, and ever since then, all that's happened is kind of constant abuse to the point that even tonight. They've got a bag of pogs right next to them. Do you hear that? Do you hear what I've got to put up with? So joining me, they're back from Immerse Studios. I don't know why I've just even said yes. Should have cancelled, but anyway, you can't have everything. <laughs> it's Emma May. Hiya. Hello. I've got a cold. <laughs> I know. It's quite funny. It's not. I shouldn't be laughing, but you did, you know. You did promise you were going to... Like next time you're on the show, you can apologise for all the pog stuff. So I'm waiting for your apology. <coughs> Did I say that? No, <coughs> I don't think I no, said you that. No, didn't say that. Not at all. Not even on the slightest. Um, better say hello to everybody who's out there. Hello, everybody. The reason that we do this is because there's not enough podcasts out there. Podcasts. You even got me saying it. There's not enough <laughs> podcasts out there about board games. And people involved in tabletop. Well, there probably is, but it doesn't matter. And the other reason that we do this is stop. And the other reason that we do this is because (laughs) um, for some reason, at the end of the last show, I went, oh, yeah, yeah, it'd be great to have them back on again. And, you know, so I had to keep my obligations. So here we go. But it's been a busy time. Social harassment. It has. It's been busy. It kind of got into busy the times. The times I had to talk about pogs to you, <coughs> that's been so stressful. You've been in, it's not <laughs> that, you've got everybody else involved in Team Trevor as oh, well. It, just, it caught on so well. <laughs> you got like, what? Yeah. And now I have my pogs, I got them out of the out of the attic, and I'm, like, I couldn't remember how... Like, do you remember Charlie Talk? Charlie Chalk. Charlie Chalk made pogs. Yeah, the funny way of walking yeah, and the they... funny way of chalking. Charlie Chalk. Landed on an island, now he's what? Living in the jungle. And I remember the theme tune. It's now stuck I in my head. I didn't even know how a theme tune. Did they, did they make a TV show out of it? I remember it was a pub. <coughs> it's a TV show. Is it? It was a pub. It's definitely a TV show. I thought it, was a, it was, thought it was a character for a pub. Oh my word, it's not. It's definitely a TV show. There is a thing called Charlie Chalk, which is a TV show. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It definitely hmm. exists. And well, I've got a pog of Charlie Chalk. Have you? Does he got like a kind of a, like a bowler hat on and kind of like a reddish nose and he's wearing kind of like is it a yellowy kind of bow tie or something like that? Oh, it's got it, yeah. Wow. This is just going to drive me insane. Right, anyway, you're go- I'm going <laughs> to Google you. You're going to tell the good people about... Um, now, we spoke just before Quirk Hallows kind of was launched. Yes, well, we, we spoke in September. We did. And I was saying to you that 
I was supposed to be making the game and I didn't know whether I would or not because I promised people I would and then I was very, very busy and I was very scared to launch a campaign. Mm but you went ahead anyway I mean regardless you just kind of dived in and Quirk yeah Quirk Hallows became a thing and yep. you decided was it, you went for the unusual route well it doesn't seem to be the unusual route nowadays because it seems to be the latest fashion that you kind of ran the, the ran the campaign for a limit a fairly limited kind of period of time which was quite unusual he's got a purple hat hasn't he and it looks like eyes on his it hat has. oh it's like two C's of course it is he's got a red nose yeah yeah, yeah. So you could, no, I just had. To, I'm just going to bring everything back in your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like welcome to nostalgia hour, and after the break, we'll be bringing back bag puss, um, soft furry <laughs> fat puss. Um, anyway, but um, how long did you run the campaign for? You, was it only like twenty days or something like that? It wasn't that long, was it? Um, thir- thirteen days. Thirteen. It was. So I really want to talk about pogs because there's a lot of these characters on here that look like Ren and Stimpy. I don't know who Ren and Stimpy is. I do. Oh my god, Nickelodeon. I do know who Ren and Stimpy is. It used to be, except it wasn't Nickelodeon, it used to be okay. on BBC Two. And and Rocco's Modern Life. I so think. So like very sort of cartoons. Yeah, well BBC Two went through like a phase of um, getting in a, a lot of the, the Ralph Bakshi stuff at the time and the first thing they brought in was kind of like Mighty Mouse so there was like I think it was almost like um, you know everybody kind of looks at like you know um, was it Gumball and Adventure Time and everything like that is kind of mad and zany and you know just completely out there at the time it's like Mighty Mouse came out and it, it was Ren and Stimpy and they were kind of like the first starts to where cartoons started to get kind of weird and zany and they would use like, like they use like they'd have animation, and then they cut to stills of really kind of detailed, well watercolored paints of like, you know, the back of um, Ren's head or something like that, kind of like covered in fleas, and it was like kind of all this magical <laughs> stuff. But you've got a pile of pogs. Bruce, how many, amazing. How many pogs you got? Um, I don't actually have that many because it. <laughs> because it was my sister's game right. um, and she had the board game and to be honest I probably never knew how to play it at the time we just collected them because every single shop like local shop would have them yeah. and you'd buy them and collect them kind of like Pokemon cards um, so I've got a load of Slammers and then I've got a load of Pogs which have loads of different kind of cartoon characters are on. Slammers like the heavier ones? yeah I never played I never played this up. game and then you slam the top of the pogs and then any that fall out of the circle or something. I, I don't really know how to play. But Tom from Redwild Games does. He was looking it up. Yes, we had a discussion, me and Tom, about him and his pog <laughs> thing. He was one of the main... He kind of defended himself on the podcast to say that he wasn't kind of involved in the whole pog thing. But he definitely was involved, I reckon. He was definitely... He definitely had something to do with it pretty sure but he did I think he kind of went on to explain <laughs> and then I kind of put him accidentally on the defensive I didn't mean to Tom you are lovely um, Tom's been brilliant um, yeah but no I, I still don't I know there's you kind of went oh look here's the board game and I was like okay but I was expecting you to have like thousands of them I was expecting T for you to be sitting on a no, sitting yeah. on a throne I'm, of pogs I'm not that 
I'm not that much of a collector, to be honest. Let the side down. It's not bad. I don't know. I don't know. Hallows, um, Hallows was like a... Yeah, back on, back on topic. <laughs> there is no topic. This is, you, you're bound to, if you've listened for the last, how many other, I was going to say how many other episodes, it's like, if I could actually say the last couple of hundred, which just really sounds sad now, you know, it's like, I've got, I've got more episodes than I've got pogs, basically. Um, <clears throat> but that was a real kind of, it was kind of like a drama. It was a bit squeaky bum time towards the end. Because it kind of cruised, it cruised along, <laughs> and was it was it right up to like the last couple kind of couple of hours that you kind of funded basically. Oh my god! Yeah, it was so scary. Um, we weren't hitting our target for a lot of the time, and then near the end, we got to two four nine nine, <laughs> and someone put a pound in, like in the last ten minutes, and I was I had my fingers on the desk grip. Gripping the desk, my heart was pounding through my chest, and I was just like, "Is it going to happen? Is it going to block over?" And someone's like, "Cancel their pen at the last second. <laughs> and every, I don't know what it is, but everything like once the campaign finished, everything went white. Yeah, and it was like, "Congratulations, you funded on two thousand five hundred and twelve pound." I was like, "Who's the person that put twelve pound?" It was on two thousand five hundred at the last minute. It wasn't me. Because I was cackling a lot. No, I, I know who it is. I was like laughing. Um, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> but I had so many people watching because I I had the um, Google um, analytics on, yeah. so I could see there were so many people watching it. And I've met up with people since the campaign, and they literally said, "I had my button ready to to put the rest of the money in if it wasn't going to do it." So it's really lovely, like the amount of support that I had around it. Yeah, but that's because you kind of you're always kind of you've always kind of supported people though. I mean, we said this in the last show that the reason that we kind of wanted you back yeah. on was that you've always kind of built your network around kind of speaking to people and kind of connecting up with people and you know things like that. So I think when it comes to, I mean, there's obviously there's Team Trevor, but it kind, yeah. of, kind of goes beyond that. So when you're kind of like everybody kind of keeps an eye and kind of looks after people, I think that's always kind of like a that's always kind of a fairly a fairly nice thing. But we're now in December, mm-hmm. and everybody's got their game. Up. <laughs> they have. So the turnaround on it was so I created. I, to be fair, I created most of the artwork in August in my sketchbook, but I needed to digitize a lot of it in October. Um, so. I had all the character cards drawn in my sketchbook for nothing else. Um, and so about a day and a half, I probably digitized a lot of the cards. Um, I spent eight days putting the page together for Kickstarter and somewhat promoting it. And then we launched 13 days. When we funded, I literally started getting print ready. Yeah. Um, we, we printed within two weeks so it was like one week to get print ready and send all the files over and approve everything and then two weeks on the print run along with um liaising with the board game documentary team to get the film done um and then two weeks later they arrived and over the weekend i packed everything and sent it out on the monday and then it arrived that week for well most people in the uk Mm -hmm. so we're still waiting for people in america i think to get theirs but it it's that time of year, so I don't know when they will. Are you just sending stuff out through Royal Mail to America then? Is that not like really expensive? 
No, because I the game's only small. Oh right, so just so it doesn't weigh over a certain amount. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Because it means that people are obviously it's just, as you said, it's just the kind of the time thing for getting stuff over mm-hmm. to America at the time, whether it's going to potentially be a bad why... Yeah, so the whole thing I, I was done in about seven weeks, mm. um, from creating the game through to sending it out. But during that time, though, you've been you've had other things kind of going on with Quirk. Oh yeah, I've always got stuff. You always got stuff going on in the background because at the end, because um, the last time we spoke, yeah. yeah we kind of like finished the show and you went, oh, um, could you, can I, <laughs> you said, could you delete that bit? And I got confused and thought you meant about an announcement. So I got rid of that and then I had to bring it back in again. And then you were like, oh, here's, yes, I've got, this, am- really weird, I've got this amazing <laughs> announcement that I'm going to give you, but I can't tell you what the amazing announcement is. And it's like, yes. all right. And you'd made a video and then you'd covered, you'd filmed the video and you'd covered certain parts to say that you couldn't, you couldn't, you were going to hide it. it. Couldn't say. Yeah. Can you see now? Yeah. I can. I I <laughs> haven't released that video. It's just something I did. I said to people I'd start vlogging some of my little adventures and mm. the, the shows I go to and what happens. Mm. Um, and that was kind of like a after the show, the emotions I was going through, the things that actually happened at that show. Um, but because something really big happened, I couldn't really say it. Um, but I want. I want people to know the kind of stuff that does happen and the work that goes into it to make it happen. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I can't say too much because I'm still on this journey and I'm still building and developing those relationships with people. So it's not something I can completely tell people how to do yet. Um, but the big news, obviously, as people know, was Waterstones. So we're in five shops at the moment, possibly more. That's amazing. I mean, I don't want to sound sarcastic. I just went, you don't want to sound sarcastic. <laughs> but I sound as sarcastic as a post too long. But I mean... <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. Last... <laughs> that's, that's, that's I, I, sarcastic. I had a talk with my... Men- so I've got a mentor. So yeah. I've got a mentor in business. Yeah. And I sat down with her the other day and um, had a chat. And I just casually went, yeah, of course we're in Waterstones and all that sort of stuff. And she's like, oh my God, you're in Waterstones now. It's like, yeah, I swore I told you. <laughs> just like hey, the last time you told me it was like it was going to happen but you didn't know when it was going to happen oh. <laughs> How, I mean that is there a sense of kind of like well this is actually kind of happening or is it a case that I guess if there, if it's five stores then they're only going to take a kind of a certain amount so is you're still are you still kind of in the proving ground or is this to see kind of well we are yeah let's see let's yeah. see how this sells let's see how this works but also, then, the reason I couldn't say is because I was I was at a show and um, I got to pitch directly to the buyer. And whilst you're at a show, it's amazing. I had such a, an awesome time because I met so many people who were interested in Quirk yeah. who said, yeah, we'll make orders. But then you go through the stress of once you finish the show, you then need to chase those people up. Mm. So I, um, I've taken on my second biggest retailer as well. Um, and it took me about two months to close the deal from that show. Whilst I was also running a Kickstarter being in Germany, doing other shows, there's that on top. <laughs> um, so yeah, I couldn't really say much about like the Waterstone stuff because it was like, this is big news yeah. and they're interested, but in two months' time, something else could come out and build that shelf space because that's the kind of thing you're looking at is, is your game... Um, is it relevant enough to actually have shop space? Yeah. 
because I've only got a limited amount of shelf space. They seem to be expanding it, though, because, I mean, the last couple of times I've been in Waterstones, I mean, it started off with the occasional copy of, like, say, Dixit and Scotland Yard, but you go in now and they certainly, if there's, like, um, if there's, like, say, a, a... like a, I guess a, a kind of a, a banner film coming out like Star Wars, then they certainly seem to be going out and picking up copies of, you know, any... They seem to be chapping on Fantasy Flight Door and saying, well, what games do you have that we can you can potentially sell? I've seen Fallout in there. I've seen the water... I guess the Waterstones, where I am, seems to be kind of incredibly well... incredibly well stocked. They're also quite... <laughs> I hate to say it, but they're also quite good at kind of discounting games because I guess for a lot of people it's not you wouldn't necessarily think of going in there to get like a heavier game so I've seen like Fallout the new Fallout game kind of was dropped in price quite quickly I guess because it wasn't kind of selling so it was kind of like a snappable up material but I can see why the buyer kind of looked at your thing and went yeah this is worthwhile kind of giving it a chance because it's um um because it looks, it's, it's really accessible, and it seems to kind of fit within the kind of the market where they're, where they're heading. They're always stocking Pokemon. They're always stocking Magic. They're always stocking kind of a lot of these, I guess, games that people would just pick up. You know, like Quirk for kind oh. of a laugh. Because that's so. I mean, have you had any reports back as to how that's going, or you have you got to wait? Like, does it run for six months? Does it run for two months? I mean, how long do you get to kind of be on trial, basically? Well, I. I- you're saying it's on trial. I'm not 100% sure it's on trial. Right. Um, but it's, it's Christmas, so yeah. I'm sure people will pick it up and buy it or like read the back of yeah. it and decide to take a, a chance on it. Yeah. Um, but I think we, we're only going to grow in the next year because with the, um, with the new news that I've just posted about, uh, we got the uh, recommended status for the Good Boy Guide. So what that means is that our games have been tested by children and observed by a professional um, in ch- child's play and development. Um, and they, they test it in four, at least four separate um, times mm-hmm. with different children. Mm-hmm. And then they observe the results of that. And from that, they have scored quirk high in fun, mm-hmm. skill development and um, ease of play. Which is, I mean, we're recommended, and because there's two ways you can get, you can either get approved or you can get recommended, mm-hmm. and we have been, we have been recommended by them. So that is like kind of testament to what Quirk is as in gameplay for families, um, and it's a highly respected um, organisation who test um, boys in the industry. So how does that? I mean, how does that kind of affect if you're going to pitch? I guess to other places then does that mean that it's easy for you to go in and say right okay you should take this because um it's got kind of it's got some here's some officially kind of what you would say good reviews it's not like you rocking up and saying okay i've got five youtubers <laughs> you know they've they've filmed a video I mean, on everything it, you know. is, yeah everything starts like that though so that's what i was saying in the beginning is you know the um board deck and dice his son rated it ten out of ten when he first played mm. it, and they were they were skeptical when they first had it come through their door. Yeah. Like, should we play this? Should we not play it? And his son said yes, and luckily he did because that's kind of what started us off. Um, and then he recommended me to a load of other people who 
also reviewed it and it, from there that kind of kind of starts a spiral but um it's nice when because i'm now looking at the toy industry to be able to talk to buyers and say yes we are recommended by the good toy guy yeah. because that does hold some level of achievement somewhere yeah no i mean people look towards something that um they recognize and they know you know yeah. if they're kind of considering kind of taking on I mean, I get. I mean, I get this all the time. I mean, in my job, is like people. If a certain companies are speaking to me and they're quite well known, the first thing they say is, "Well, what other well-known brands do you kind of work with?" And it's like, "I well, I work with these guys, and they you've probably never heard of them, but they do kind of six figures a month on Amazon." But you know, it's kind of like finding that relevancy. But if I drop like, "Oh, well, we currently work for X Y Z," they go, "Oh, right, yeah, okay, well, I'm certainly kind of interested in having a further kind of." Um, conversation because you you seem to be taking it out of everybody and this is no disrespect to anyone I've spoken to before but you seem to be taking it to it's a different direction from most of the people that I speak to in terms of how you're chasing it how you're kind of developing the network the kind of where you're going to and who you're kind of pitching to um you seem to have started off like just develop the game and then let's see where we can push it and where we can get it to and it just goes to show that you know you've put a ton of work into this and it's kind of I mean how many I mean it's starting to to kind of get somewhere now isn't it yeah definitely I'm I'm totally with you I wouldn't never disrespect anybody else doing anything in this industry because it's super hard um and if you look at games as a whole it's like one of those things where, okay, this is my passion, I really enjoy it, but if you're looking at hobby, hobby-based games, there's a very hard entry point to be able to make that a consistent um, uh, print cycle. Yeah. So most companies will end up making one game, a second game, third game, they kickstart everything, and it, it seems to be a kickstarter cycle. Yeah. And you can get really big and have a very dedicated audience that way. Um but I don't think that's a good path for me. Um, and the way that I look at Quirk is that it is a mass market game. So it's it would be foolish of me to stay in hobbyist games because hobbyist games kind of tend to not like Quirk as much because it, it's a family game or it's a party game. Yeah. And, yeah. and you get some people that will literally rate it down, even not playing it, because they don't like the fact that it could a mass market game mm-hmm. because there's obviously this war between whether something in the shop is going to help the games industry or not um, and I'm I, I don't want to say I'm on the fence this. I, I've got a very clear opinion of it um, I I absolutely hate when people are dragging other, other games down even if they are made by big, big companies it is frustrating but at the same time because the games industry is growing this gives us more of an entry point for us to then start building our hobbyist games and developing even further with them and actually creating that niche. So I, I would never like put anybody down in any space because everything helps us. Yeah, no, I mean, I was as I think I mentioned on the in the last um, show, the show before, I do so many, I'm, I'm so lost. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I was in just Tesco's the other day, um, which is for you folk in America, it's like Walmart except probably smaller. But they've got kind of like code names on the shelf. They've got Double on the shelf. They've got Risk now. They've got um, uh, 
They are starting, you know, yeah. and, and you can see it. You can see it kind of trickle over. They used to occasionally have magic. They definitely always had Pokemon because it was guaranteed to be, you know, something the kids would definitely want. But I'm certainly starting to see kind of things like um, was it the Obama Llama and games like that kind of coming yeah. into you know, coming on that shelf. And I was actually so surprised. I was like, I think it was Pandemic as well, because I pointed to, you know, I was in Tesla's point to myself, I said, look, there's Pandemic. And he was like, this was one of the first games that we played together. He went, wow, that's that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing for, that it's going to be people that are going to take a chance on that game. And then by finding that game they're then going to go oh well we really really enjoyed this it was horrific to play and really really tough and we got our we got our butts kicked at it that's the but thing. if you go and type like, pan- pandemic is, yeah it's it's a gateway <laughs> that's going to be the next it's going to be the next monopoly but in in this culture that is being built out of board game yeah. cafes and and indep- independent um game designers yeah and it's it's interesting because th- what will happen is that person will go I'm looking for games like Pandemic and they'll do that Google search and then that'll be them, you know. <laughs> they'll, yeah. they'll be in the... I mean, that'll take them down a completely different rabbit hole and the next thing they'll do, they'll be picking up kind of Small World and then they'll be expanding into kind of a lot of other games that are kind of, you know, that are kind of out there. Um, Do you... What's... Okay, what's... Are you still... Do you still feel kind of like on the kind of the outskirts of the kind of the the hobby or or do you don't do you kind of like say well you feel kind of more involved now than kind of where you were I, I, it's a bit of a weird one because when I started I was hardly anywhere mm-hmm. in the hobbyist games world um and uh, the first like UK Games Expo I did nobody knew who I was I didn't know anyone there I literally set up a stool and didn't really talk to anyone, um, apart from the people that came and had a look at my game and, and, and demoed it. The second year, which was this year, my stand was on an off pack, had three tables. Um, and so many people would walk past me and, and say hello or take a picture or um, shout my name from down the hall. And I'm just like, I don't, like, and this is mainly from Twitter, just talking to so many people and supporting them online. And whilst I feel like I haven't integrated myself into um, the hobbyist industry where most people have started, because there's been people in the industry that have been in it so much longer than me, um, I've kind of, from from Twitter, as I've grown, found companies around me that have also grown or started at the same time, and we've kind of developed that little hub ourselves. So now I kind of do feel connected in that way, but at the same time, like you suggested that I'm taking this in a completely different direction um, and growing kind of out of the, the hobbyist market and into more of the toy market. So, I mean, the hobbyist market has helped me, but I, I do kind of still feel like I'm on the edge of it. And it's like the same with like my um, the games that I've been buying. Is I, I started off with having practically no games. I had like one dice, one red dice that I kept for a long time. I don't even know what game it came out of, but I like dice, so I had this uh, dice for ages. Yeah. And now I've got, like, I don't want to call it a game shelf. My business has expanded so much, I had to buy a set of shelves to put my files on, yeah. but they also hold games. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I start with very light games, like Beast of Balance yeah. and um, uh, Unlock. I don't know, it's not really a light game, but 
it is a light it's, game. Yeah, it's, I, no, I like it's good. Um, and now I've got things like I've just brought stuff to tables. I brought that in September, and I've also been backing some of the bigger games, um, like Robin Hood. That one was on Kickstarter. Yeah. There's another one. Yeah. Coming out soon. Um, Did you get City of Cogs? Yes, yeah, City of Gears. Yeah. City of Gears is yeah, the yeah. one. So I'm waiting for that one to come in. I haven't actually had time to sit down with a bunch of friends to, to play it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, um, what's the other one? The little epic zombies I brought and we got that out in Germany to play and I started reading it and going this is a huge game and like it looks all but it's huge and I was like reading the, the instructions for a good 15 minutes till we decided actually let's play a party game because we don't have that much time so yeah I'm starting to expand and, and look at these other games and my friend introduced me to Pandemic quite a while ago um, and as you probably know, or most people know who've spoken to me, is I've got a strategy for building businesses um, and niching your products based on how pandemic works. Yeah. I think I told you. I am just so excited about the concept of it. Because I was like, oh, my God, I just see ways in which you can strategize your business by looking at how other things work. I've totally stolen that for work, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> it's totally become. Yeah, I've totally stolen it. Because you can understand. That, okay, okay. I'll give you. <clears throat> let me give you an example, and I'm, I'm coughing away, and I just have to kind of get I mean, that. But that's the reason I share it, so other people can use it. No, I mean I have got people that come on and say, "Look, okay, this is my, <laughs> this is my business. I sell kind of like fencing, and it's like okay, um, you know." And I'll be like, "Yeah, fencing, that's good." But then they say they want to be found in say Amazon for fencing. And I have to. T- I then tell them, okay, well, that's fine. But what is it you want? What is it you want? If you know, what is it you want people to find you can afford? Well, fencing. But what, what? What could it be used for? And then they give me a list, and then we look at kind of based on the categorization within Amazon, where there's maybe not as much kind of there's not as much competition, but there's a reasonable amount of yes. traffic, and it kind of works really, really well. So I totally stole that off you. And people think I'm a genius for coming up with it. And it's really good. <laughs> but <laughs> that's but that's the strategy used based on Amazon. Um, but the overall arching idea is based on um, pandemic and how pandemic works. So you take that one thing. And I know because I said that on the last podcast that we had, is how I niched and become a bestseller. Um, but it is it's the pandemic model. Yeah. No, it is. It is, and you did it quite. You did it quite cleverly, which I've nicked as well. <laughs> I just steal all of your stuff. I think quite a few people have as well. But it's it's really good because what that means is you see other people who have started releasing their games and they are now climbing up the charts and they're making sales, and that's a good thing because it means they can start to grow their companies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And but again, it's just like again, it's one of these things that if you're just approaching things for the first time, you'd have no idea how to how to deal with it and how to actually kind of get it working as well, which is always... The problem is, as I said, the problem is people look at things in the most logical fashion. Mm. So they go, right, this is this, so this must be this. Yes. Rather than this is this, but how could it be different? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, what you said is, is exactly how it works. Um, I'm reading a new book at the moment and I've, actually I brought 10 new books and I'm quite surprised because the books that I brought I, I brought based on I want to learn something different so I can apply it to my business. I ended up buying two books that were really interesting to me. 
which are giving me strategies that I'm already using in my business. I'm just like, okay, well, this just validates what I'm doing and it's going to work. Um, but Seth Godden, um, if I'm saying his name right, who writes a lot of like marketing material and ways of thinking in, in um, marketing, um, he was, it's not him who said it, but there's a, a famous quote that says, if you're trying to sell a drill bit, people do not want a drill bit, they want a hole in the wall. But they don't just want a hole in the wall, they want to put some shelves up. Because what they want to do is organise their house. So what you have to do is sell an organised house with a shelf up to sell that drill bit. Which is what you were saying about fencing. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, you are selling fencing, but you know, you're selling a secure garden. Yeah, well, what I say, what I say, or... what I say to people is there's different levels of engagement with regards to the sales cycle. People are going to be listening to this and go, this is going to have to do with board games. Listen, folks, sit down. You're getting educated here, right? But anyway, there's different <laughs> aspects of the sales funnel. You've got the top aspect of the sales funnel, which is your tire kickers. So that'll be somebody who'll come on and just do a search on fencing because they've been told they need to get some fencing for the rabbit. Yeah. Need to get, they're going to be, they yep. need to build a run for the rabbit. In order to do that, they need to get some fencing. So they're just going to, they're going to tickle the keyboard and they're going to put in fencing into a search engine, whatever place they're going to be looking for it. And then certain results will come up. And then what they'll do is they will then maybe do a little bit of investigation away from the place that they're going to sell. And the next time they'll come back is that they'll be looking for, um, <clears throat> they need, they don't realize that they need to get galvanized galvanized fencing because it's going to be outside so that's what they do they do a search and instead of getting 120,000 results they get 40,000 results but then the next thing they realize is that they do a bit more research and they go into rabbits online or whatever and they discover that the best type of fence they want is they only want a two mil hole fence because anything bigger than that and it can injure the rabbit because it can stick stuff through there and anything you know Smaller than that, it's more difficult to manipulate and do stuff with. So then they go back and they say, okay, I'm looking for galvanised steel fencing, 2 mil, and that takes the results down to 1,200. And that's, you know, and then you can do it again and you eventually get it down to the point where you just, you come up and there's only 50 results. And then it's just a case of how well you sell your concept to the customer in order to sell. So if you can say our fencing is ideal for people who are looking to use it for rabbit runs for rabbits, that person's going, excellent, I'm sold, I'm buying some. And that's that's how that's how it kinda works, basically. I can I just add something? Of course you can. Um a couple of conversations have come up recently about um how you sell your product um and the words that you use because words are so important. Um, I started working with someone at the beginning of November who changed all my copy. And I know I, I said it in one of my Kickstarter updates and then you messaged me and said, oh, who's, who's this person that's doing this? Hmm. Um, but we changed my entire um, copy on Amazon. Now, I sell it selling pretty well on Amazon anyway. Um, and we changed my copy. Within that day, I doubled my sales because of the way that it's written. And I don't want to give too much away on this because it's not actually I don't want to plagiarize anyone else's work by saying what they said to me um I do in closed conversations but um not I don't want to do it publicly because it's not mine um but it is very important how you look at how you sell to your customer and it's the same way that I've built quirk from a concept to getting it into waterstones and having 
um, professionals review it and get the same results as I've always got when I go and test things. Um, and it is basically the only way I can tell you without giving away their stuff is you when you're testing it with people or looking at how people buy, um, they buy differently to how you sell it. So what a good way to be able to do this is to go into a shop, look at something you're interested in and ask the questions to yourself of why why am I interested in this? What am I doing when I look at this product? What are the questions I ask myself so that you can then look at your product and think people are doing that to my product? Because mm-hmm. like some of the first things you do when you pick up a product is when you look at the box and you read the description on the back and I've watched people pick up my box and immediately they flip over and read the back even though if I'm standing there I could tell them what it was about yeah. but I let I let them stop and, and read the back because I want to see if they understand what I've written because if they don't they'll be asking me questions and if they ask me questions then that's what I then have to change when I do my updates oh yeah no that's so important I mean I think um, the giant brain Ian McAllister did a fantastic piece recently on preview copies and uh-huh. one of the things that comes up again and again and again is rule books and it's a case yeah. that you know and, and <clears throat> we've had a discussion and I in turn I've actually spoken to a few people about the rule books in terms of you know how they write them how they because that's just you know because I used to write training manuals for banks and if you can explain bank procedures <laughs> you can explain anything at all but anyway the discussion was quite simple is that um there's a big difference between the playtesting side of developing a game and the blind playtesting side of developing a game to the total sending a game out to somebody for a preview, a review, a write-up or whatever and being able to leave them alone knowing they're successfully going to be able to play the game correctly. And Ian's point was that it happens too many times now that he seems to get the playtest version of the game which is the game where the developer is or the designer is standing over them and able to point out the bits where you're getting stuck on the rules, and it's a big okay. leap. it's a big kind of leap between the between the two. But it's just a it's kind of like I'm a previewer. This is how you can help me kind of preview your game and, and not have to spend half my time kind of def- deciphering the rules kind of thing. So I think no, I think it's really important that somebody can just. They can read the rules, but they can also get a good, ex- a really good idea of what your game's about by, you know, reading five sentences. I think that's really, really okay, important. The best, the best way that I've been able to do it is I've written my rules because I know the game inside and out. Mm. Um, it, it's very hard for me to not want to tell you everything, but um, I've, I've iterated the rules myself all the way through the process as well from having really ridiculous sets of rules with tons of writing and down to listening to absolutely everything someone said when they've asked how to play um, to be able to develop what's the most necessary thing that they need to know as they're reading it Um, and then also a very good thing is to then give that to somebody else to read it and see if they understand it and then for them to rewrite your rules so that your majority of players can play it without needing to find the online videos or um, somebody who has already played it. Yeah. No, I, as I say, that's that I think that's one do you know what? I think it's one of the key causes for people to put a game back and play it another time because there Definitely. I mean a th- like a three hour if you've got a three hour window to play a game and if it's a game that you've not played before, 
if it's a heavier board game, I'm automatically sacrificing an hour. I know I'm automatically going to be putting an hour away into kind of like reading the rule book and stuff like that. I know that I'm not going to be um, ending up kind of playing it. Um, I know that I'm going to probably potentially have to rake through the rule book again and again and again. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think that's kind of like um, again smaller games. <laughs> You want to dive in. I guess it's worse if you try to play a smaller game and you stumble on the rules because generally they're just there. There's like a page in front of you, and if you if you yeah. mess if you mess it up completely, you know if you don't get it right, then that person's just gonna. They potentially might <laughs> potentially. It's not a case they might not play it again. They might just stick it in a charity shop. <laughs> you know, I no, spent a tenner on this. To- you know. I went to a board game evening a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and I was playing games with people I'd never met before mm-hmm. and we, we saw this game and it looked really innovative and amazing and cool and quirky and we decided we wanted to play it and we, we literally read the rules and then it was over in two seconds. We were like, we're obviously not playing this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, it was so confusing and it, it only had like two pages worth of rules and it was like, it was just a placement of, the, of how they've laid everything out because they had right at the very top next to the title, there's actually two games here. But what we did was we didn't read that bit. We read from how to play yeah. all the way through both sets of rules and then didn't understand why it went so fast yeah. or we weren't playing it right. Yeah. So it's very important because we, we kind of were like, oh, we kind of like the concept, but it's a shame we didn't get it. Yeah. So we never played again. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> Get out! Don't come back. But I mean, have you got? It is important, a, though. But have you have you got kind of had to develop that mindset because you're not dealing with, like you said yourself, you're maybe not going into a board game cafe and putting quirk on the table. You're maybe you know you're going into any any you know other places more. I don't know, maybe less. Guys that would be expecting to kind of, I'm here for the duration, I'm here for the next five hours, give me a, a 52 page rule book and give me 157 miniatures and counters and stuff like that. So it's a kind of, you must be focused on, I know I'm going into places where Quirk has to grab these people extremely, extremely quickly because this buyer is in the, is in the toys and games department. Um, they are looking at the next version of guess who they're looking at the neck you know they're looking at don't step in that or whatever that game was that won the innovation yeah, um, award you know from from what you're saying there i mean it comes to a, a really basic principle in business which is um if you can describe it to a five-year-old then it's going to work and that you should be doing that with almost everything um uh, one of the things i can say like when it comes to copy and that is the same thing we we <coughs> We made the copy so easy a five-year-old could read it. Mm. Um, and it's another, again, this is when I say, when you look at things as you're trying to sell them, you sell them more in a more difficult way than someone will understand to buy it. So, I, I mean, I use words like um, you can become a trendsetter and embarrass everyone because, you know, it levels the playing field. But those mm. words, whilst they might seem quite easy to us, mm. are actually words that would turn someone off if they're thinking, I want to buy this for my five-year-old. Yeah. Um, at the same time, if you are selling to somebody that, even if they are in their 30s or 40s and they want to buy a game, if you're talking in a language that everybody can read at, then you're more likely to sell a game. 
Um, and there's a lot of people that want to use really cool, um, uh, difficult words because maybe their game is a bit more strategic and all of that. Like you can say strategic and stuff, but don't make it so complicated that someone's going to be like, no, that's going to be too hard for me to play. You want to give them as much ease as possible um, as you're trying to sell. Um, but in answer to your question, um, as I've been developing, there's always been new questions on my mind. So like, it started off with, okay, I'm in front of people, we're testing this in a board game cafe. I'm asking them loads of different questions yeah. from um, if they like the game to how much would they pay for the game if it was in certain types of packaging um, to the point where I started selling to retail. And then the, the worry I got was, Will it sell if it's on the shelf? Will it sell if it's next to exploding kittens? What's that factor that's going to make it sell and jump off the shelf for someone else? So I then start asking those questions. So you might have seen now from the last couple of weeks, I've redesigned all the packaging. So now Quirk's green yeah. and Legends is purple. There's characters on the box. There's hidden characters. The the words on the back are even easier to see, and there's pictures on the back as well. So it's Everything kind of goes into asking a lot of questions as you build that journey. Yeah. Yeah. But then I've been lucky enough to work on just one game and, and replicate that process into two new games. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, I think it's the danger of people having to, as you say, there's the Kickstarter side of things where you're looking for kind of like the next game to kickstart or develop the game to kickstart. And I think mm-hmm. in some cases, these some of the creators don't get to the level where you're at, where you're now thinking, well, I need to think about kind of um, accessibility. I need to think about how is it going to look on the shelf? <laughs> I need to look at the kind of like pitching this to people who don't normally play kind of this level of board games. Uh, that's what I mean. I think that's what I mean. I think is, is like um, you're kind of on, I wouldn't call, I wouldn't put you right in the middle of the, or even the, the kind of the side of the, like I guess the board game hobbyist kind of circle. I don't mean that to be an insult because you're obviously doing things in such a such a different way. I can I, I, I couldn't imagine having sitting down and maybe having this conversation with maybe a few guys that we've had on regarding Kickstarter because to them it's more and I've said this before it's more like a passion project. They're not looking to get it sitting on the shelf at Tesco's. They're looking at just getting the thing made because they've spent... That's the thing you know, that I, I keep seeing. Uh, the, the thing that keeps coming up time and time again is that there is a big difference in what your goal is with yeah. designing a game. Yeah. Some people do just want to make the thing that they're really passionate about. They've played it with their friends and they want to get it out there for a few other people. Yeah. There are some people that do want to get it in the shops and they're wondering, how do I do that? Um, and then there's there are people that are continuously building more and more games i am slightly worried for some of these companies that are they do actually want to become a company but they're running Kickstarter campaigns over and over again because it's not it's becoming an unsustainable method in, in building board games and even people that have been very popular with some of their games and they're launching their new games are finding it more difficult to keep getting back um and one thing that i'm very concerned about is when you are you're launching a game, and since there's been so many delays on Kickstarter at the moment, you launch a game, and then you're launching your second game but haven't delivered on the first yes. one. Yes. Um, and 
I mean, that's a concern for me because I'm always thinking of my consumer. And as a consumer, I'm thinking, well, why are you doing your next thing when you haven't fulfilled your first thing? And knowing that most people are running um, their board game companies as well as having a full-time job, you're thinking, how can you stretch yourself so thin to be able to do, develop the next thing? So you, you have to have a very, very good plan and probably a lot of people around you to be able to pull something off like that. Because they don't tell you what running is like. I mean, I no, talk about. Hard. I mean, you it's talk about. Hard. I mean, you talk about kind of like everybody talks about stretch goals and everybody talks about marketing, but nobody actually talks to you about being absolutely paranoid about making sure that comments are being answered to, or that if you send a message to somebody and they they message you back, you're then messaging them back just to say thank you, that you're not ignoring anything, that you're balancing kind of like your updates <laughs> and not kind of updating too much or maybe updating too little or how you present yourself on social media if things are going badly or how you present yourself on social media when things are going well that you don't come across like you know hey hey look at me kind of thing it's all this different thing and I you know um, it'll be be an interesting conversation to have um, in a couple of months time once um, I'm finished with my little (laughs) Your experiment. Ramsh- Your experiment's going my very well. My little ramshackle experiment. This is the experiment. Do you but know? You, you'll probably agree that when you're looking at Kickstarter, I think some of the things that people think is, okay, I'll just do a Kickstarter and then I'll fund something. You know, then I'll be able to make my game. But as soon as you hit that launch button, suddenly people are putting money in and you're obligated to fulfill something. And that's a different emotion for you just going, oh, I'm going to make a load of money. Because now you're thinking about people. Yeah, totally. It's like you, you, you need to um, – you get the fear, I think. You start yeah. to think about um, – you start to do sums in your head and then you start to – even before – it's really funny because it's not – it's not like um, – I don't know. Look at Patreon, okay? Yeah. Patreon yeah. is about people continually kind of p- providing funding in order to help almost kind of um, – um, sustain what you're doing as a content creator. You know, some people, some people provide kind of like different things. They provide kind of like upfront content. They provide kind of like special access. They do like one on ones. Um, you know, and uh, but it's kind of like it's not an oblig. It's kind of like people will apologize and they'll say, "Oh, I didn't do much this month. I'm sorry. I'll not bother collecting your kind of money." Kickstarter, you start to. You don't sit there and go, wow, look at this money. What am I getting? And you don't get the kind of the Scrooge McDuck diving into piles of coins kind of thing in your head. You get almost the opposite, the opposite side of things, which is the accountant sitting there with that kind of the accountant machine with a handle going, right, okay, well, this is going to cost this and this is going to cost this. And all of a sudden, kind of like stretch goals become like, they don't become fun and exciting. They become... I've really got to calculate How much this. Is it going to cost? What is this going yeah. to be? Can I give this to everybody? I know I'm trying to be kind. And that's the but, whole thing. Know. When when you are building a campaign, you already have to have those stretch goals in mind. So if you hit a certain amount of money, you know you already yeah. know you can fulfill it. Um, yeah. And I think that's it. You work backwards. You go right. This is and it is kind of a bad way in a, in a way. As long as unless you get a lot of value out of it. That you have to build a complete game and then start taking things out to say, okay, we can't afford to have all these luxuries, but yeah. what we can have is this base game. And then if we get to those stretch goals, then we'll add it to the game. Um, 
then that also helps you to climb to a, a number that you actually do want to reach that can produce a really amazing game. And also there's this other side of things where now consumers on Kickstarter starting to expect Oh, now you've you've stretched, you, you know, hit your goal. Mm. You're going over. You have to provide us with stretch goals because yeah. we want something to be excited about. If you're running a campaign too long and you're not giving stretch goals, then you're going to start to lose people because you're not you're not there for them. And it's I kind of want to move away from Kickstarter for that in that respect. But then that's also the reason I do small campaigns because I would not be able to keep up with yeah. stretch goals. Yeah. Um. One thing I wanted to just add. Should I be talking about this pandemic method in this episode? I don't know if I talked about it in the last one. Um, of what that actually you kind is. You mentioned a little yeah. bit, but um, it's fine. It was, yeah, and I've, yeah, we were talking about it in the last, in kind of like the last episode. Wait, what I spoke about in the last one was how you niche in the Amazon. Yes. Um, I don't know if I mentioned how how you use the pandemic game in order to build a very successful product or business. I think, do you know what we do? Is we leave it for the next time you come back. <laughs> because, do you, know, do you know, that's one of the things about uh, running anything successful is you leave, you leave everybody going, what was that? What were they going to talk about? And then you say, tune in next week. Oh, because it has everything to do with what I, I mentioned about Seth Godin's book that I'm reading at the moment. Because I thought, you know what, I've got this this really unique method of how I enter the market. And then I read his book, and he basically describes it in business terms. And I'm just like, oh, why have I not written this book before him? <laughs> oh, dear. You could have just written that book instead, and you would have been fantastic. I might, I might still write something. You should write um, something. I think... Um, uh, let, just a shout out to Hercules Games because he has mentioned this to me that there, there is a gap in um, how people think in games design and how people think in business and having those materials of how do you build a product and take it to market that is a game product Absolutely. and I talk about things in, in games in game terms by using game mechanics to build a business upon okay well I'll tell you what let's put this out there that you will come back on in February okay yep and we will chat all this through. I'm very busy in February, so well, pick the moment right. <laughs> all right then. Well, I might be busy as well. You know. Hey, I'm going, sure I still be on Twitter. It was going so well, and then you had to drop. Well, I might. I might be doing other things. Thanks very much. No, no. I, I'm doing something. <laughs> there's something happening in February that's going to be massive for quick. So yeah, you have a cliffhanger. There you go. There's a cliffhanger and a half. Um. If people are wanting to find you on the internet webs, where do we find you on the internet webs? You can find me at Atomer Studio on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Okay. Or you can go to my website at www.quirkgame.com. Awesome. I'll put all those links in the show notes so we've got notes to show. Um, thanks very much for coming on. It's to be continued. It is definitely to be continued. Do you know what? I thought this would be a bit more of a poking fun at each other podcast, but we've actually talked about some very pressing issues within the games industry. That, and that's very helpful. Yeah, exactly. So, but that, that's kind of what I want to do. I, I When I do interviews like this, I would prefer to do stuff that's going to help other people. Exactly. So it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Um, no, as I say, thank you very much for coming on. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, 
go to Google, search We're Not Wizards, Twitter, Facebook, um, YouTube, Instagram. Apparently Tumblr's died. <laughs> you know, who knew? Um, but you can also see us on, <laughs> see us on your podcast catchers. Um, you Stitcher and Spreaker and Acast and um, all these other places. I think there's one called Overbox or something. There's all just Castbox is one of them. Spotify, we're on Spotify if you want to catch us there. Um, if you like what you've listened to tonight, there's two things you can do, actually. Um, tell somebody else. You know, if you see somebody on YouTube, if you see somebody on Facebook or Twitter saying, oh, I'm looking for a podcast, then, and if you don't like them, then send them our way. It's kind of like some kind of, you know, passive-aggressive kind of... Infectual <laughs> brilliance. something like that. In fact, it's something anyway. If you like us even... Infectual brilliance. <laughs> Stop it. And if you, um, if you like what you've listened to, as I said, then also consider going to Apple Podcasts. You've dropped, ruined my flow. And... Drop us a subscription uh, a or a review. Um, stop it. And if you like us even more than that, subscribe. Then stop subscribe. it. Uh, you can give us a rating. Remember, don't give us ten stars because that makes us extremely big-headed, and don't give us one because that makes us cry. Give us five because it's in the middle. It's a little bit average. Um, <clears throat> but the person who's been a complete pain in the butt. Um, Yay. <laughs> The pog, the pogtastic. Will you stop that? Um, it's Emma from Emma Studios. There's only two, only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Emma? Sometimes. Thanks. Play quirk, and you can sometimes be a wizard. Play quirk, and you can play quirk. Because you can sometimes be a wizard. And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's goodbye from Emma. Say goodbye, Emma. Bye. It's goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, rollsixes.com. And uh, go get Quarks on Amazon, Twelve ninety nine. It's prime. You <laughs> get it next day. It's incredibly good fun to kind of be making faces um, and in, in different places and try to get people... Uh, take cards off people by guessing, you know, and getting, doing impressions <laughs> and stuff like that. Noises, faces, places. And stealing their quirks. Stealing their quirks, that's what it is. You know, but until the next time, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>